Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. This is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And we believe that all of us are on a spectrum of mental health and we're all going to need help from time to time, which is a perfect beginning to today's conversation. I'm joined by Dr. Brian Goff. Hello, Brian. Hello, Sheila. So good to see you. And good Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hi, nice to see you both again. We wanted to talk today about why therapy. Why would people consider therapy? Why is it a good idea to talk to your friends about therapy? What goes on in therapy? Do you mind if we just have a general conversation about, I think, uh, the thing that many people believe is a very intimidating process and dispel a lot of the myths around therapy? Yeah, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. good with you? Yeah. Okay. First of all, um, I'd like to hear both of your thoughts about perhaps some of the biggest misconceptions about what goes on in therapy. And you mm-hmm. can just just fire mm-hmm. back and forth. I don't know how often clients that I see have this misconception, but I, I do think in media and uh, movies, you know, such that this idea that you're going to lay on a couch and talk about your childhood and it's all about insight and why did I start having the problems that I do and, and there must be something really wrong with me to go see a therapist. Like it has to rise to the level of that's a professionally bad problem. Aha. Uh-huh. That you're only getting the people who have already, for instance, broken from reality. Yeah. Or, <laughs> you know, so, like I've heard people say, you know, I resisted the urge to go to therapy because I just didn't really feel like I needed it. Like it has to reach some sort of intensity threshold to to be like, okay, finally now this warrants quote unquote, professional attention. And so oftentimes I see people who I think, gosh, it would have been really great if we had been able to start talking about this six months ago or a year ago or something. I mean, Jenna, do you feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's like any other professional you might go see. Hopefully you're not going to see your dentist after your teeth have all rotted out yeah. or you're not going to yeah. the personal trainer when you're no longer able to be mobile. And I see therapy as it's just a tool that is useful at some times in your life. Probably it's better earlier in the struggle than later in the struggle, but I very much agree with you. And actually, Brian, at the beginning of what you said, you brought up another, I think, important misnomer, this this idea of, you know, therapy is about laying on the couch and you meet every week for 10 years and you're talking about your mother. Woody <laughs> Allen did that to us, you know? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, and after like five years, I still do what I do. Now I just have, an, I have a story about why. I have a story why. about why, right. <laughs> and I think that raises a really good point. Not all therapy is the same. They're all different types right. of therapy. And I think that is an important thing for somebody who's going into therapy to ask their therapist, what's your theoretical orientation or what's your approach to therapy? Mm -hmm. because some approaches are much more about this is going to be a very long term. We're going to do more insight oriented work and other approaches more like the one um, Brian and I come at is much more about how can we kind of help you make changes in your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So psychoanalysis is the kind that people spend a lot of time going back and searching Jungian, would you mm-hmm. say also? What are some yeah. of the others that get more into the past and delve into your story? Yeah, I would say kind of key words to be looking out for or to be aware of are things like psychoanalytic, Jungian, Freudian, even psychodynamic th- therapies tend to be more focused on insight. And it's not that those things are 
bad necessarily. Right. It's just you have to know what you're wanting out of therapy. Right. Yeah. And right. we and and I think you know I think Jenna and I have to be careful to not sound disparaging Absolutely. of that because that's simply just not our approach. Right. Yeah. In the same way that maybe people who have that approach would view approaches such as ours as being, you know, quote unquote band-aid fixes. Right. Ah, right. That sort of thing. Yeah. 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 I want to, I, I, can, can I just ask sure. also about, I have seen this a lot in the movies where someone says, you need therapy. It's almost <laughs> as a, as a slur. It's almost like you're so sick that you need therapy. It hasn't helped really what kind of great work you're doing. It hasn't been seen as, hey, you're going to go see your your physical trainer and you're going to go to your dentist and you're going to see a therapist so that you get yeah. this kind of emotional capacity early on. Yeah. It's yeah. been seen as very much when you're broken is when you need therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the questions I actually, um, because I do more time-limited work um, with clients, so they'll come in and they'll do a piece of work and then they'll live their life and they'll come back to me. So I see repeat clients a lot. And one of the things I asked them in our last session is not, when will you know when you should come back? But rather I ask them, when will you know that it would be helpful for you to come back? Uh, and that might be the question for people to be thinking about, like, would therapy be helpful? Not, do I need therapy? Um, mm -hmm. I think those are two very different questions. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that's also, that goes to the other question of when does it make sense to stop? Mm -hmm. Like, do I need to keep coming? It, the question really isn't, do I need to keep coming? But are we still doing meaningful stuff? Are we still moving the needle? Yeah. Um, I Earlier, Jenna, you said um, going to the dentist or going to a personal trainer. And I think sometimes people view therapy more like an orthopedic surgeon. Oh, <laughs> than, yeah. Like, I want to avoid trainer. it at all costs. Right. And it right. Like, has to get so bad right. yeah. that they have to cut you open and do something really invasive and painful with a long recovery. That is one type of intervention. But there's also physical therapy. There's also trainers that focus on functional movement. And I think we are... Not that we can't be doing some heavy lifting in therapy, but I like the idea that what we're doing is helping people with functional movement psychologically. Yeah. I kind of uh, look back at my own life and really wish that at every time I was making a big transition, I'd had a really good therapist because I would have known sort of how to put my values in place, lead from those values, whether it's a relationship or a new job or you're moving across the country, mm -hmm. if you have sort of that team leader on yeah. your side rem you know, reminding you, don't get caught up in the stress, don't get caught up in the power, don't, you know, Absolutely. it would be a very different life, I think. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have the ability to have a therapist um, who, who knows you well so that you have... Uh, you know, done other work with or, yeah. or something like that. So they, they sort of know what your values are and where you usually get stuck and that kind of thing to be yeah. able to like go into that therapist in times of transition to help say, now, now, wait a second. I know that this thing is really important to you. How is this decision influenced by kind of this way I know you want to live your life? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting to me that, that we don't really prepare kids in school at all for the enormous transition into adulthood with any kind of emotional tools. We give them all this SAT prep and we give them, you know, uh, volunteerism and things that they can do to pad their resume. 
but none of it focuses on how do you become a better human being? How do you live from your values? How, I'm yeah. fascinated by it that there, it's almost like it's stigmatized even in our educational system. Hmm. This is where I think the idea of treating psychological suffering, putting it in the, well, it's a brain disease category has been really problematic. Yeah. So I know that that perspective was initially sort of brought out in order to destigmatize psychological suffering. Mm. But now what's actually happened is it's sort of like if you're struggling psychologically, by the way, every single human being does, well, maybe then you have a brain disease and there's something wrong with you and you mm -hmm. need to go to the doctor and go get that fixed and then you can be a normal human versus yeah. if we could just talk about it as, yeah, it's hard being a human being and it's hard having a human mind. It you know causes some mm -hmm. problems at times. Mm -hmm. Then we could do things like, yeah, most kids are probably going to benefit from having some tools about knowing how to deal with living a human life. And yeah. whether that happens uh, in a psychoeducational setting, like a class in school, or it's a book, or it's a therapist, like so oftentimes, right, people say, you know, I don't know that it's really a problem. That's just normal teenagers. Nor being a normal teenager is difficult. Oh, you, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> and teens, I think a lot of teens, they don't particularly want to talk to their parents. So that leaves talking to usually, often, uh, other teens who are also in the soup of being a teenager. And I, I think just sort of like the normal process of development, it'd be great to talk to somebody. Yeah. I want to um, go back to the room itself. How do you know if you're matched with the right person? What kind of evaluation do you make when you're mm -hmm. meeting someone, especially for the first time, to determine, is this going to work? Will this be a good partnership? Is this somebody that I think I can help? Well, for me, Brian, I don't know how you do it. I imagine it's probably pretty similar. Um, first of all, I evaluate, it's a two-way relationship. And sure. I, I tell my clients this all the time. While the relationship is focused on my client, it very much is an authentic two-way relationship. I genuinely really care about the people that I serve. And so when a client comes in, I'm very much attending to both, does that person feel like um, they're comfortable with me and it feels like a good fit, but also do I feel like knowing how I work best, am I going to be the best person for this client? Yeah. And so I always have a two session evaluation kind of period where I say it's a chance for you to get to know me and my style and a chance for me to get to know you and kind of what's going on with you and to see if I feel like I can be the best person mm. to help you with. So at the end of the second session, we have a really frank conversation about, okay, so how's this feeling for you? How's it feeling for mm -hmm. me? So that's kind of how I do it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think the people that I've done the best work with are the folks that I think, at least on my side, but I think for them as well, that after a session or two, there's this sense of, you know, I get this person. Uh -huh. I sort of I sort of get them. We kind of speak the same language, or at least I, I can translate from their language yeah. to mine. And I, there's a rhythm to the interaction. There are times when it is not particularly like that, and it's hard slugging away. And maybe that's okay. Maybe you have to do some hard slugging away. You know, I often think, especially in the process of doing this podcast, I mean, Jen and I are good friends and we are colleagues. We have a very similar approach. 
kind of an identical approach. <laughs> uh, but we do not have identical personalities. No. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. very different people. Brian's so, much more fun. I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, I don't know. I don't drink know. with both of you. I don't know. But I think that it may very well be that a client could get as much out of a course of therapy with Jenna as they would with me. But in some instances, they might really resonate with my style, my personality, my sense of humor, my irreverence, how metaphorical I tend to to be in the way that I talk about stuff. And they might resonate more with Jenna's style. So I think Jenna's point of it is a genuine relationship between two people. Stylistic stuff matters. Now, having said that, a therapist that you just like or get it's sort of necessary, but not sufficient. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so true. Mm-hmm. What What are some of the questions that you ask people when they first come into your office? So I'll ask kind of the basic of tell me what's bringing you in here. But then I guess um, it, what's most important to me is helping very early on. I'm trying to help my clients identify what in my language I call values. So what are sort of the ways of being in this world that are most important to you that provide you with a sense of meaning so that I can have those things guiding our choices about what we focus on in therapy. Very early on, that's some of the things I'm asking. But then also, I almost always give my clients homework. I'm pretty active in therapy. I'm up front in the beginning with, is this something you're going to be able to work on in between sessions? Because if not, I'm probably not the, the right person, right mm-hmm. person yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So giving some psychoeducation about that. Yeah. 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 I, as far as questions to be asked, I think probably every single person that I see gets some version of the question of why now? And if this worked as well as you want it mm-hmm. to, how would things look differently when we know we're done? Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, in X number of weeks or X number of months, if things go well, how would you know? Yeah. Probably similar to the values question, I will, you know, usually people talk about, here's the really uh, nasty thoughts that pop up in my head that I hate and I would like to go away. And here are the really unpleasant emotions. These are the painful emotions that I have that I wish I had less of. That's valid, me too. But I often will say, Something along the lines of, if you didn't have those uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, how would you be living life differently than you are now? Mm. And can we, in the course of the conversation, can we entertain the notion that while those thoughts and feelings that are distressing may get less, what if we made our primary goal to close the gap between how you wish you were living and how you're living now. Mm, And you can tell even in Brian's question there that it says something about the kind of therapy he does. So neither one of us come at this from a place of um, you're the patient that has some symptoms and our job is symptom reduction, symptom reduction. So we're not asking like Brian is asking there, what is it that you, the client How do you want your life to be different? But then also notice he's talking, you're talking behaviorally. You're saying like, Mm -hmm. what do you actually want different in your life? To do. To do. Yes, exactly. So those questions actually can can give clients a a good sense of like, oh, is this the kind of thing I'm looking to do in therapy? Mm -hmm. So many people, because they wait to see a therapist until they're in crisis, 
begin to have this experience of going from one therapist to the next. They're already in crisis. They don't have good time management. Their lives seem to be spinning out of control and they can't find a good fit. Is there a way to superimpose a template that might help those people get a better fit earlier and leave fewer people so frustrated by the process of trying to find somebody who can actually help them? Yeah, so I think there are lots of questions that you can ask ahead of time or be reading. Probably you're not going to get a lot of people on the phone, but be reading on people's websites, like keywords to kind of look for with with therapists. You know, are you more interested in understanding and insight? Are you more interested in, um, you know, making behavior change, those sorts of things? You want to ask um, the therapist. I always suggest asking the therapist in addition to sort of, What's your theoretical orientation? But how do you know if therapy is working? Yeah. I always, yeah. I like that question mm -hmm. better than theoretical orientation, unless you're a psychology nerd and, right. and that, yeah. and that answer is going to be really meaningful because if I, if somebody asked me what my theoretical orientation is and I said, well, I'm a functional behaviorist, kind of third wave behaviorism, <laughs> acceptance based, it's like, blah, 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 blah. What in I'd the world? I'd sign up for working with Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but like, what does that even mean? But if somebody asked me, um, <clears throat> what's a, what would you say the goal of therapy is? Yeah, that's a good question. That's going to mm -hmm. cut right to, because that's at mm -hmm. the heart of people's theoretical orientation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other part of the theor theoretical orientation is how do we get there? Yeah. But, it, you know, some people will say mm, it's to gain insights or personal growth or... Mm -hmm something like that, uh, or sometimes symptom reduction. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you're not sleeping well, we're going to improve the sleep. If right. you feel anxious, we're going to reduce your anxiety. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people can be listening for, does that sound like something they want to be doing? Or is it something else? If you ask Jenna and I that we're going to talk more in terms of moving towards things that you really care about rather than away from things that you don't particularly like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you know if therapy is working between the two of you and your client? I think for me that, that, I mean, that's a really good question because I said earlier about the needle moving. Sometimes the needle moves really quickly and sometimes the needle pauses for a little while. Yeah. I think if the conversations, and I should, before I say this, I should say week by week, I don't really know that that can be well evaluated because huh. just like any conversation, some of them have a lot of life and energy and movement in them. And sometimes they don't. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's a flat week or a distracted week or a, something like that. But over a larger window of time, is there energy to the conversation? Is there movement? And if there's not movement, is there some sense of why? And are we problem solving that movement, mm. it, it, that that lack of movement in a meaningful way? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's really accurate. I guess one thing I just want to throw in there um, before I give you my answer is both Brian and I work from a pretty similar um, context. So we're both outpatient individual therapists in, in Good point. A, essentially private practice. I'm in a group practice, but um, so lots of semi therapy. Semi-private. <laughs> Semi-private. I don't know what you call my practice. Yeah. <laughs> it's not very private. Um, um, but so much of therapy these days is done in a primary care setting. So that's, um, you might, uh, they might be called like um, 
behavioral health experts rather than even, they might not even go by the title therapist. And some of those sessions can be as short as 15 minutes. And there can be really, really great Mm -hmm. outcomes from that type of work. It's just very different than the type that Brian and I are doing. So from the type of therapy that Brian and I are doing, um, in, in the beginning of therapy, I actually ask my client, how are you going to know if you're making progress? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me the things that are going to be different, even if they're very small changes so that we know if we're on the right track or not. And every once in a while, I'm kind of checking in with my client about, okay, so w- where are we at with these very concrete, like how you wanted to have your life be different? Um, so that's one way I track therapy. But again, I, I do agree with Brian. It's not something that you can tell necessarily week to week. And it's also not something that I can just go on based on, does my client say that they like being in therapy? Because that's right. a little bit more of a measure of, right. do they like me? And while I love it when my clients like me, that that isn't my job. It's not my job to be a friend. It's my job to help this person change their life. Well, and interestingly, even though there's this, we were talking about rapport between client and therapist, as much as it's true, yes, that that, um, if a client says, well, I, I mean, I like coming in here. I like talking to you. doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing meaningful work. There are times, session, couple sessions, a month of sessions where clients are like, I, I, this is really hard. I don't like coming in here. Wow. I don't like coming in here, Mm -hmm. but it's worth doing. Oh, wow. Like it's, it's worth doing. The other thing about moving the needle, I I keep saying that is, uh, (laughs) it's funny. Sometimes I'll have sessions where I will think, wow, that was great. And the conversation that we got into really good. And that way that I said it, wow, I'm a rock star, <laughs> right? <laughs> and um, and then uh, the next the next time I meet with a client, usually it's weekly, sometimes it's every other week, uh, they'll come back in and, and uh, one of the things is, you know, like one of the questions that's commonly asked is, uh, any, any thoughts or reflections on the last time we met? And sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's exactly what I thought we laid down and did. And sometimes it's this off com, you know, off the cuff comment or this little thing that they ran with and, 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 um, it wasn't at all what you thought was fabulous. No, no, wow. huh? but wow. it still was meaningful to them and they ran with it. And I was like, Oh, oh okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah. And both Brian and I will, I'm assuming Brian will give objective measures you know, scientifically sound measures to also be tracking yeah. outcome regularly. Yeah, yeah absolutely regularly. Mm-hmm. So, what, what, what? Because we're almost out of time here. What is the most appealing thing about this craft, position, life force that you've chosen to devote all of your time and energy to? I love that question. So, um, so many people because I um, mainly work with folks who have a trauma history. And so, so many people will say, oh my God, isn't that so depressing? Like listening to all that hard stuff all day. And isn't it depressing hearing people quote unquote complain all day? I'm like, are you kidding me? I have people coming in and saying to me, this is the hardest thing in my life, or this is the like scary thing. This is the most important thing in my life. And I want to work on it. Let's go. I mean, talk about fucking inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a privilege. It is such a privilege to get to have a relationship with people like that. No kidding. What would be more discouraging for me, not 
anybody else necessarily is uh, working in a sales position where I was selling people stuff they didn't need, uh-huh. talking them talking them into the you know sixty five inch TV because the sixty inch TV just isn't quite enough, <laughs> or getting them to buy the iPhone eleven because the ten is lame, <laughs> or something like that. God bless people who do that. I like my phone. I like my TV. Thank you very much for helping me. Please don't. Please be nice to me when I go into Best Buy. Uh, but I feel like I get a backstage pass into a, a person's life and they're inviting me there to, you know, make change. Yeah. And awesome. it, Just, if, wow. some, if somebody were to write uh, their biography, the place that I want to show up is I want to show up in the middle of a dark chapter and I want to be, you know, somewhat featured, not a star in their story, but somewhat featured. And then I make a brief appearance in a brighter chapter and that's it. And if I can be a transitional character that moves somebody from a darker spot into a lighter spot, like how lucky am I? Wow. You just described yourself in my life. Oh, oh I mean, really, the God, first time that I met so you was in, was in such a terrible, terrible dark mm. chapter. And look at where we are now. Mm. Thank you, Sheila. I also just love <laughs> the fact that whenever I go to cocktail parties, eventually I am cordoned off from the entire crowd in a corner hearing someone's like deepest part of their soul. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, yeah. this is a good job and you guys get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> but you get to drink while that's That's happening. right. That that's a good right. point. I've got a great benefit. Yeah, you do. Our show is brought to us by the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care and Cedar Hills Hospital. We record at iHeart Studios along with the help of Mike Shacker and John Hugel, our incredible editor producer. Thanks again for listening. And if you can, give us a thumbs up on Spotify, Apple, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts.